What's up? This is Greg Schnoes, host of the Schnoes Knows Podcast, and I'm back doing things a little differently, trying to do the podcast in a different avenue, so to speak. We're going to record it this way and try to see how it gets received and how all that good stuff, And but that's not why you're here. You don't want to know about all that, so <laughs> we'll just move on. So yes, Schnoes Knows Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Schnoes. Thank you so much for listening. Now, it was quite a weekend. If you did not notice, we had football was finally back all the way. We had a little tease the weekend before, Labor Day weekend, you know, college football. You get that little, they give you just that little taste to kind of just tease you a little bit. Go, okay, give you that little bit of something to just, you're just craving it so much. And they just throw you a little scrap and you just, just devour that. And then you're like, oh, okay, a few more days. And then Thursday rolls around and Cowboys play the Tampa Bay Bucks. Hmm. Well, that actually went a lot better than I thought it would. I'll admit it. I thought they were going to get shellacked. <laughs> I'm not afraid to say that I did not see that coming, especially coming from the defense. That was pretty much the worst unit in team history that we had last year. So it can only go up from there. New defense coordinator Dan Quinn, all but one draft pick on the defensive side of the ball, when they had the draft back in April. So, and then even Malik Hooker, uh, was it Keanu Neal? You know, the probably the two prominent free agent signings the Cowboys had this offseason because they usually don't go crazy in free agency. They love to re-sign their guys, but that's a whole other story for another day. But wow, what a improvement in the sense that, yes, they gave up a lot of yards, gave up a lot of points, but they got four turnovers, and they got the game with to a point where they could win the damn game. They got that last turnover. Chris Godwin was about to go in from the score. Ball gets knocked out. Jordan Lewis recovers it, runs back in the end zone, then thankfully got out of the end zone and got it to about the 15, which at that point I was just screaming, what are you doing? Because you once you retreat, once you recover the ball in the field of play, run back in the end zone, if he gets tackled, that's a safety, and that's two points for Tampa, and then you give them the ball right back. Thankfully, that didn't happen, but I would have rather he just fell in the end zone and been happy, but yeah, whatever. Anyways, he tried to make something happen. God bless him. He even got the interception before half, or yeah, when they tried to kick the, uh, or no, the Hail Mary. They tried to throw a long Hail Mary, and he intercepted it and ran it back a good distance, but unfortunately, yeah, got tackled. But the defense, yes, they did put you at a point to win a game, but this pass rush is is not really there. I guess I'll, I'll give the Cowboys a little bit of leeway. A, it's the first game. B, Tom Brady gets the ball out pretty quickly. If you know anything about NFL football and Tom Brady in particular, you know Tom Brady is a drop-back passer, but he's not going to sit back there and just keep, you know, holding the ball and holding the ball and holding the ball. That's, it's coming out. Very rarely does he hold on to it enough where the pass rush can get to him. It's probably why he's lasted as long as he has. Smart guy can see things and has pretty much seen it all, obviously, if he's played for 20-plus years now. But ugh, this whole moral victory thing that people try to come up with, that's cool, I guess, if it's like high school or maybe a college football team that is not expected to do very well and they play a tough team 
and they had them on the ropes, and the the better team with the better athletes just gets over at the very end, makes just one more play at the end, they kick the field goal and win it. Okay, that's fine. If high school or college, like I said, if somebody like, oh, I don't know, SMU, for example, here we're in Dallas locally, right? SMU, when they weren't paying players and signing contracts basically like they were back in the early 80s. <laughs> Let's just say here in the last 10 or so years, SMU has gotten remarkably better after being pretty much one of the worst teams in football for years and years and years. So they finally were able to break through a couple of years ago with Shane Bouchelle, the Texas transfer quarterback, started winning some games, started being on national TV a little bit more. But like as you're building towards that, right? If you get the right coach and you get the right culture and mindset instilled into the program, if SMU plays at let's say oh uh I'll try to think of somebody outside of the southwest, outside of like Texas, Oklahoma, whatever. Uh oh gosh, I'm just drawing a blank here now. I can't think of another team. Let's just say Oklahoma State. The hell with it. Right there. Oklahoma State is a better program on paper is a better program athlete to athlete than SMU and you know Oklahoma State is gets better recruits this that and the other so I had my Gundy he's been there for many years so my point is they, they've got stability they, they're a team that's going to win more games than they lose you know they beat OU once in a while they beat Texas a lot lately like everybody else has and we'll get into that here in a moment <laughs> but with uh with a team like SMU, you, you know you don't have the athletes. You know that the guys on that roster are probably guys that Texas and Oklahoma and maybe LSU and A&M probably recruited all those same type of recruits, and they actually had a legit shot at them. Whereas SMU, yeah, you can send out 150 scholarship letters or whatever they do nowadays. Back in the day, in our, back in my day, they actually sent you a letter. Uh, <laughs> however they do it nowadays... You know, when they formally extend offers, they have all these camps and things like that where all these players perform in front of coaches and things like that and on campus. And so basically there's a lot of chances for these kids to get noticed. So my point is SMU doesn't have the caliber of players that Oklahoma State does. Now, Oklahoma State is not exactly a, a top five program that's contending for national championships, but they're on a higher level than SMU. Now, if SMU goes up there and plays them tough and you know, gets some turnovers, gets some momentum, takes the lead, Fights tooth and nail. And just at the very end, Oklahoma State, just like the Cowboys did with Tampa, they leave a little time. The defense is gassed. They've given everything they had, and just a couple of plays are made, and then it's just enough for Oklahoma State to skate for the win. Now, in that sense, I'm perfectly okay with somebody saying, well, you know what, SMU lost, but damn, look how much better they've looked. Look how much they know. They can't compete with usually teams like this. They're not on the level playing field when it comes to recruiting. They don't play in a conference that's as good. So everything's against SMU. So if they lose, let's say, 30 to 28, and they lose by a last second field goal, fine. Moral victories are great. Because SMU was not thought to be any chance to win that game, and they got close. So you say you can take a lot of things from that. Yes, you ultimately want to win. But damn it, we got close and we did a lot of good things and we can build on that. That's what your coach is going to tell you. That's what that whole entire staff is going to tell their players. This is the NFL. This is pro football. These are grown men. These are professional athletes that can pay to 
you know ton of money, you know what kind of money, to win these games. Moral victory my ass when you're a professional. The hell with that. You do that with, with kids, not professionals. There's no moral victories in the NFL. These guys get paid way too much money. They work too hard. I'm talking from the coaching staff to the players. Everybody from top to bottom in that organization puts in way too much effort to say, yeah, you know what, we tried, but oh well. We're good. Now, you can be pleased with certain aspects of the game, but you should never accept losing. Losing should never be any sort of, well, well, we did okay. You should never get used to losing. You should never accept losing. You should be pissed off that you lost that game. You can be pleased the way certain things went. The Cowboys defense did look better. You did get four turnovers. But you still gave up a long touchdown to Antonio Brown. Wide open. Anthony Brown got completely burned. Probably why the Cowboys were mock drafted by everybody, me and anybody else who does that for a living, <laughs> to any number of the cornerbacks that were on the board. Patrick Sertan is who we got, or excuse me, who we wanted to get to match him up with Trayvon Diggs, who we already had drafted from Alabama. Didn't get him. <laughs> so we got Michael Parsons who looks like he's going to be a good player and probably replace a guy who we drafted way too high, Jalen Smith, and another story for another day. But this moral victory nonsense for, for professionals is just the biggest load of crap. Nobody should be happy about that. Nobody should be, nobody should be accepting of losing. I, I can still remember the series that the NFL Network did. It was called America's Game. They started doing it, oh gosh, I want to say like 2007 was when they started doing it. And they did a like an hour-long show on each team that won the Super Bowl and the journey leading up to that. Now, they might touch on just the, that season or maybe the season before or who knows what. But they did one for every year, and then they ranked them which were the best teams. Point is, when they did that, the 1992, the first Cowboys Super Bowl of the 90s, Michael Irvin, they had like usually coaches and players talk about that particular season. So Michael Irvin happened to be one of the people for that one, for that particular episode. And Michael Irvin said, you know, when I got there, you know, we were losing and losing and losing. And, and he's like, and guys were okay with that. And he's like, I would cry after games. And he's like, you know, the veteran guys, older guys would come up to me like, you know, just cheer up, young fella. You know, check comes Tuesday. And, you know, Michael Irvin had this little smile on his face. And he was just like, I, I couldn't accept that. He's like, you know, I, I, I hated losing. And then he said, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, that then Jimmy Johnson came in and he jokingly held up like he was holding a long list and it hit the ground. And he said, Jimmy, this guy's not here to win. This guy's not here to win. You got to get rid of this guy. Because he knew the mentality Jimmy brought when he was a player at Miami, when Jimmy was a coach in the 80s. He made it so uncomfortable to lose that the players honestly thought, like Leon Lett, when he makes a bonehead play, in a Thanksgiving Day game in 1993 against the Dolphins, he thought he was getting cut. They couldn't find him. He was in the corner of, a lock, of the locker room crying his eyes out. Six foot six, 275-pound big-ass dude, badass defensive player in the NFL, was thinking it was over. Because a little five foot nine, you know, I don't know, maybe a couple bills, Jimmy Johnson, I don't know what he weighs. Let's say he weighed like 220. But a little tiny little guy was going to jump his ass and tell him, get the hell out of here. He was scared to death he was going to lose his job. Because Jimmy made it uncomfortable. That same episode, 
Cowboys lost a tough game on the road at, back in the day, RFK Stadium against, back then, they were known as the Washington Redskins. And dead silence on the plane. And Jimmy just, you know, Michael Irvin said Jimmy Johnson, you know, got all started yelling up, screaming at him up and down. He's like, you know, what did I do? I wasn't even saying anything. And he's just, that was just the tone Jimmy just made losing so uncomfortable that that was, obviously that's why that team was great. That's why they won the Super Bowl that year. They had great players, they had great coaching, and they had the great culture. So, obviously that's been missing for a long time. (laughs) 26 years now. Wow, 26 years. But yeah, we're we're closing on the third decade, Jerry Jones. Okay, but my point is, you you obviously get it. The, The whole understanding is there should not be moral victories in professional football. These are grown men with families that are getting paid millions of dollars a year to do this game. There's no, well, we tried really hard and we got really close and we should feel good about that. Hell no. This isn't high school. This isn't some no-name, small college type nonsense. You're supposed to go in there, kick ass, take names, and win. And if you don't, find somebody else that will. And again, that has probably been one of the bigger criticisms of the Cowboys for years. It's too much like a country club atmosphere. Hell, remember that episode of Hard Knocks a few weeks ago when it had that drone flying all through the state or you know the practice facility and then the, all the meeting rooms and it's like as soon as you walk in there's this like giant freaking chandelier that god knows how much that cost you think they have that in new england you think they got that in la with the rams they just got a new franchise for everything they got built brand spanking new no that's what jerry wants that's fine he's the owner he can do whatever he wants but that's why he gets the results he gets and he's happy with that, obviously, because he's done very little to change it. So that's why I, I can't get too excited. I try, I say, and then I do, but I try not to put too much stock and emphasis in this emphasis on this team because you ultimately know where it's going to end up. Dak played his ass off. Here's here's your boy eating some crow. I've been plenty, plenty critical of Dak Prescott. I've been on him like stink on you know what on his play saying when he throws these touchdowns when they're losing 31 to 3 and now it's 31 to 10 it doesn't mean anything and I still believe that I don't care if you throw a touchdown when you're down by 28 and now you're only down 21 well you're still down three touchdowns and your defense obviously isn't helping you out and everyone's gonna go see 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 Greg ding 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 that's what we all tell you I know I know I've I've just bitched and complained how bad the defense was and they could only go up so I, I see you. But Dak played his ass off. For a guy that saw no no preseason time, for a guy that was limited in training camp between this goofy shoulder injury kind of thing that he's got that only baseball players like pitchers get, and somehow he got it, and it's probably because he was overcompensating trying to get ready for the season because you know he broke his leg and dislocated his ankle. So that can tend to happen coming over an injury. And I mean, anybody who's listening to this has probably injured themselves. And even if you don't have something to the severity of, you know, broken and dislocation, if you just sprain the, you know what, out of your ankle. I mean, if you're playing basketball with your friends or, uh, you know, you got kids and you step on something, (laughs) thank God I don't have any children, but I've, uh, I've seen my parents step on Legos and things like that. We've all seen those commercials. And if you're a parent, I'm preaching to the choir here. You know what that's like. You're going to step on something. You're going to trip over something. It might be something not that big, not that 
big of an item or whatever the case may be, but you step wrong or you try to jump and miss it and you, you your foot doesn't, you know, your, you don't, the bottom of your foot doesn't catch the floor, it catches the side and you, oh, that was me dropping the remote, but I just knocked off the uh, table. <laughs> Sorry about that. Live podcasting or, well, I'm recording this live, so if you're listening to this, I apologize. But uh, yeah, point is, if you step on something and you catch your your foot just doesn't you know your bottom of your foot doesn't catch the floor and you catch that side and you put all your weight on there and it rolls like hell hell those sprains are worse than usually broken bones because a broken bone you can put a cast on it or whatever and you're good to go but those sprains it just stretches everything or slightly tears everything and it's just like it puts all a significant amount of stress on all those ligaments and tendons and all that and that's almost even worse so we've all been there so what sometimes you might do, you might hop on the other leg or you're kind of maybe using crutches, or you're doing this, like you're having to compensate for something that you didn't before. And sometimes you do it too much to the detriment of the healthy leg or the healthy foot or whatever the case may be. That's maybe what happened with Dak. But beyond that, played his ass off, threw it a bunch. I didn't realize he was going to throw it that many times. I was texting a buddy of mine and he kept saying, where's Zeke, where's Zeke? And I'm like, well, Tampa's defense is pretty stout against the run Vita Vea or whatever that big old big old boy they got in the draft a few years ago out of uh U-Dub there are a lot of rumors the Cowboys were going to go after him because they kind of ran that defense where he would be a traditional nose tackle on a 3-4 but the guy's like you know <laughs> he's 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 gigantic I think he's like 350 ish you know maybe I won't put that on we'll say he's 345 I don't want to put 350 on the young man but uh needless to say if you're like 6'2 6'3 about 335 plus, that's a giant human being. And then, oh, by the way, Indomitian Sue is right next to him, who's another large human being. He ain't that big, but he's still a big guy, and he's quite disruptive, and he's a little bit crazy <laughs> if you've seen the things he's gotten himself into throughout the years. But point is, their strength of their defense is right in the middle. And I, this is what I was saying to my friend. I was like, dude, this is just the scheme that they're running this week. Now, I don't think the plan was to throw it that many times. As a matter of fact, I saw something earlier today that Kellen Moore said he called 28 runs, but Dak audibled out of at least 12. I believe it was 12 of them or more. So the play would come in, it's a run play, and Dak didn't like the look, so he changed it to something else. And it's not like it wasn't working. The Cowboys were moving the ball up and down the field. They were dominating time of possession. Hell, they were winning the game at one point. So I get you're paying Zeke a lot of money, but... Didn't we all bitch and complain to the 10th degree about Jason Garrett being so predictable, running Zeke in the teeth of the defense over and over and over? Okay, that's great when they were doing it in 2016 when the Cowboys had the best line in football and it wasn't even a a discussion of who was the best offensive line in the NFL. Yeah, that's great. Sure, give it to him 25 times a game, which they did an awful lot, hence why (laughs) Zeke had that incredible rookie year, right? But if your offensive line's not as good, your best offensive lineman in Zach Martin is not playing. Now you've got a backup. Now Connor McGovern, kid played a hell of a game, held his own. Did what he had to do. Wasn't getting pushed into the backfield all night. Now he didn't win every play, but he won a hell of a, more, hell of a lot more than he lost. So give that, man, give that young man a lot of credit. Came in there with a hell of a task and was up to the task. So he did his job. But when you got, you got this defensive line, and that's the best in the NFL. And your offensive line is even a notch below what it normally be, normally would be because Zach Martin is out. 
then why would you want to run Zeke in there? I, I couldn't understand that. I'm like thinking to my buddy, I'm like, dude, why? Like this is what we complained about for years with Jason Garrett. Just run it in there, run it in there. It's like there's eight, nine guys in the box. What do we do? Run it up the gut with Zeke. Great, he got a yard. Gee, that wasn't, you know, it's like, what did you think was going to happen? Like, did you think some miracle was going to happen and he's going to bust out of there and break a 75-yard run every time? Now, he might once in a while. He's that capable type of a runner, but he's not going to do it every play. It's just it's just silly to think so. So you audible out of the play. You run other things. You got Amari Cooper and put some respect. Yes, I said respect. If you understand why, then if the real ones know, put some respect on his name. Dude is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. I don't think he gets anywhere near the credit that he should. 13 catches, well over 100 yards, two touchdowns. Mari Cooper, I mean, for whatever reason, just sometimes, now nobody's perfect. I mean, Mike Evans, what, had two catches? Trayvon Diggs pretty much shut him down. He had one early and one late. That's about all I can recall with Mike Evans. But when you have a the defense like they do, it makes perfect sense not to run him in there because you're just setting yourself up for a loss or maybe a one-yard gain, a two-yard gain. You do it again. Okay, great. Now, let's say let's say Z got three yards on first down and then he gets smashed in the backfield and now it's, it's second and seven. He gets hit in the backfield for a three-yard loss. Now you're third and ten. Okay, what did you just do? What what good was created there? Now you're against the chains. You're, you know, as they say, you're behind the chains. And if you keep consistently do that, you're playing into the defense's hands. Because they know you need 10 yards for a first down, so guess what they're going to do? They're all, once they call the defense and they when the ball snap, guess what? They're all going to stop right about that 10-yard marker. And they're going to have all the coverage. And they're going to basically tell you, throw it underneath and then beat us. Try to break a tackle when the pursuit gets to you. That plays right into the defense's hands. Why would you want to do that? Now, I understand you want to keep them honest and run the ball, but, like, again, it's not like the Cowboys were throwing it repeatedly and it was not working. And they weren't moving the ball. And they weren't dominating time of possession. And they weren't putting up points. Damn it. The only problem they really had was they were settling for field goals and not touchdowns. That part is a huge issue right there. You know, that's why I was like, this moral victory in my ass. Great, you move the ball between the 20s, but once you got inside the red zone, things shrink. You Zeke, your your uh the hammer that's to the nail <laughs> when you get inside, and obviously that wasn't an option. They tried that one thing on the outside and tight end missed the block and Zeke Unfortunately, couldn't make the guy miss. Uh, Zeke had like one late run on the to the outside, to the left, on like a toss, and then he got some positive yards, but I think it was like maybe six or seven. That was the longest run of the whole game. And granted, he didn't carry it very much, but the red zone issue is definitely a problem. You're missing field goals. It's it's even worse. You can't score touchdowns because the red zone, your, your, your offense stalls, and then you're forced to kick field goals, and then this million-dollar kicker you got is not converting, and he's knocking them off the damn pole. It's like, or he's shanking it. It's like, and again, this is a guy that had no time in preseason because he had back surgery. Now, I don't know anything about kickers and back surgery. And, I mean, anybody who played football at any decent level, I'm talking even if you only played high school football, you know damn well what do kickers do. They kick. (laughs) You go out, you stretch. You do all, you know, you do all your little stuff. You do get ready, warmed up for practice, and then coaches blow a whistle, and then what happens? Everybody goes to their position groups. You know, back in the day, the you know, offense usually was on one side of the field, defense was on the other side of the field, and then your respective position coach, you usually worked out on one one part of the practice field, and you did whatever you needed to do that day. 
The kickers go off like by themselves. And that's all they do. They don't have a coach with them. They're just out there kicking. And most of the time, they're just screwing around trying to see, okay, if I hit the crossbar here, everybody owes me a Coke after practice. Or if I hit the left upright, I win, you know, you owe me 20 bucks. That's pretty much all they do, <laughs> which is fine. They're not asked to block. They're not asked to tackle. But when your ass is out there and you're asked to kick and you can't do it, what good are you? What good are you? You have one job <laughs> and you can't get it done. If he had back surgery and he's not healthy, and he ain't right, get his ass out of there. We had, if you're, if you're an avid Cowboy fan, we all remember uh, Brett Maher, who I believe his nickname was Maybe Maher. I know that's uh, my coworker in Houston when I was living down there, Arnold. Uh, maybe he came up with that name, but I know that's what we used to call him jokingly at work. Oh, maybe Maher or Mahar or whatever his name was. But the dude could, was lights out from like 55 plus, which is insane. Like the guy kicked 58, 60, like anything from 55 yards and beyond. The guy was uncannily, I don't know, is that a word? Uncannily? No. He was very accurate. Let's just stop making up words and sounding stupid. <laughs> but the dude was just amazing from super super far out which is like very very sure NFL kicker is probably going to have to 50, hit the 55 yard plus field goal at some point in his career but to do it consistently like this kid did I mean he was knocking him in left and right now if you ask him to kick a, you know a 31 yard field goal well you better say a Hail Mary because God knows where it's going he missed most of those and that's why he ended up losing his job because he wasn't consistent from the short distance the guy couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat you put him 59 yards away, kick it from the star of midfield, the guy would knock it down the middle. Go figure. <laughs> but that that's the, that's my take with the Cowboys. They they looked terrible last year. They could only go up. I thought they were going to get blown out. Moral victory, my ass. These are grown men. You don't play that. You got to win. You don't win. You should be upset. You should be angry. And you should be working your ass off to find out what we could have done better. And I think the Cowboys are well aware of what they could have done better. So... Oh, boy. Yeah, this one isn't going to work. <laughs> uh, thankfully, I'm sitting down. And uh, there's not a ledge that I could jump off of right now. Because, again, if you listen to the old Schnoes Nose podcast, I have said during the summer, earlier this year, I mean, I guess it's still, it's Texas. It's still hot here. It still feels like summer. But if you happen to be listening to it in some place that has these things called seasons, and it might feel like fall kind of where you're at, like we got a low, uh, some low temperature, or scratch that, cooler temperatures rolled in. So it was only like 81 degrees at one point today. Like when I left work early, like early afternoon, I was like, wow, it's really not that hot. It, like That's how you gauge things in Texas because it's just so damn hot here most of the time. But if you can walk outside and it's not 95 or 100, anything below 90 is just like, wow, this is refreshing. <laughs> so if you're having to be listening to this where the high is only maybe 73 and it might get into the you know, upper 50s tonight, I'm jealous and lucky you. <laughs> but anyways, point is, oh, this is going to be hard. Like I said in the summer with the Texas Longhorns. Now they look good in week one. They played a Louisiana Raging Cajuns team who some people in the sports media industry that cover college football thought Texas would lose that game. And I thought it was preposterous just because 
Texas should be on a higher level as a program than Louisiana. I'm not talking LSU. Hell, I'm not even talking about Louisiana Tech. I'm talking about, it used to be Louisiana Lafayette, now it's just Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns. I don't even know where the campus is, honestly. I know Baton Rouge is LSU. Uh, somewhere in, I think, northern, what, Shreveport is where Louisiana Tech is? Or somewhere close to that? I don't even know. That uh, shows my ignorance right there. But point is, Texas beat Louisiana Lafayette, and it looked different. It felt different. It didn't have the just stupid penalties and delay of games and just unfocused or looked unmotivated or flat or slow, whatever you want to describe it as. That was what was very reminiscent of Tom Herman and even before that, Charlie Strong. Maybe even at the end of Matt Brown's tenure. But definitely Charlie Strong and definitely Tom Herman. Matter of fact, look at the TCU game that Texas played last year. There was penalties on the opening kickoff. They shot themselves in the foot with penalties on like a big play. The Keontae Ingram caught a ball and took out the midfield and got called back. Like Texas could not get out of its own way. And TCU wasn't exactly playing lights out football either, but Texas was so bad. <laughs> it's just, I mean, ugh. not to mention TCU has owned them. We'll get into that here shortly. But Texas, for as good as they looked in week one, and B. John Robinson, you know, breaking big runs and yeah, should have been hit for a three, four-yard loss in the backfield, shakes that tackle, bounces outside, and gets you 15 to 20 yards. I even sent a tweet, and I said, every time I see B. John Robinson break a big run and make a great play, the first thing I think of is how dumb Tom Herman was for not playing him. That is the tweet. <laughs> Something to that effect. Because Tom Herman never played the kid. Okay, I get he was a true freshman last year, but math isn't that hard when you can look at averages – this guy averages nine yards a carry. This guy averages four. Okay, well, by the numbers, this guy's getting more per carry, but he's not getting the ball as often. Why is that? I don't know. Somebody get a hold of Tom Herman and ask him because he got fired from Texas because he was doing stupid things like that, among many other things. But this, this, whatever you want to call it, on Saturday night in Fayetteville, um, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I was texting friends today, and again, I said it earlier in the year when I referenced my other podcast. Texas is done. They will never, ever compete on a national level ever again. They are the Nebraska. Now, you might be wondering, what does that mean? The Nebraska Cornhuskers are traditionally... A what they call a blue blood of college football, meaning one of the more recognizable brands. Heisman Trophy winners played in one of the biggest rivalries, and again, they're playing this weekend, and they're probably going to get curb stomped by Oklahoma. But OU Nebraska, one of the greatest college football rivalries that the game had, and then unfortunately the Big Twelve was formed, and then that stopped happening every year. But it is or was one of the greatest rivalries in college football, and. Pretty much those two were fighting for the Big 8 every year. Whoever won the Big 8 had a great shot at winning the national championship. OU won a bunch. Nebraska won some quite a few themselves. And then Nebraska, as the Big 12 was formed, Texas rose up. Oklahoma rose up from being, you know, Oklahoma kind of fell off in the mid to late 80s. I guess the late 80s. And had some bad coaching hires. 
And we're nowhere near what they used to be. Matter of fact, late 90s, Nebraska was kicking the crap out of them. It wasn't even a game. One of the biggest rivalries ever. One of the best games in college football ever. And it, it was 42 to nothing at halftime in 97 with Nebraska. They probably could have scored 100 if they wanted to. It was just, it wasn't even a game. And then they get Bob Stoops in 99. And everything's been pretty sweet for Oklahoma ever since. They won another national championship. They've had multiple Heisman Trophy winners. Dozens of All-Americans. Dozens of award winners. One of the best programs in college football. Now everybody could sit here and say, well, you know, they suck in the college football playoff. Well, I don't know too many teams that get there that often. Yes, I'm sure any OU fan or alum or player would tell you they don't want to go there and get embarrassed, but they're going there a hell of a lot more than other people. Just put it that way. <laughs> like, yeah, you're not winning when you get there, but you got to give some kind of credit that they're getting there and they're doing it consistently. Now, they'll get over that hump because they've got great coaches, they've got great players. Texas, on the other hand, outside of B. John Robinson and maybe DeMarvion Overshow, a linebacker, I don't know if there's any NFL talent on this roster. Sure as hell ain't on the offensive line. They got pushed around. Hudson Card running for his life. And I don't know if he was not ready for prime time or Coach Sarkeesian wasn't ready for prime time or he didn't take this rivalry big enough. I don't know what the hell happened on Saturday night. But that was an ass-kicking pretty much from start to finish. And this is a team in Arkansas that is probably picked to finish, oh, I don't know. I mean, obviously Alabama, Texas A&M. I'm sure LSU was probably picked. Maybe Ole Miss. Maybe Auburn. I mean, Arkansas was probably, probably picked after five other teams in the preseason and all the publications and everything like that. Arkansas has zero shot. Nobody thinks they can win this, the SEC championship, win the SEC West, or even getting remotely close to even competing for the SEC West. They're probably the sixth or seventh best team in the West. That's how bad they were probably looked upon. And then they play Rice last weekend at at home, at Fayetteville, and losing most of that game. And then pulling it out in the fourth quarter, and they ended up winning against Rice. Not exactly a difficult team. So as a Longhorn fan, you're thinking it looked good. It didn't feel like the Tom Herman type of just mistakes and didn't look ready or didn't look ready uh, just slow out of the gate or just making dumb penalties and just looking just the way they looked for most of Tom Herman's tenure. Didn't get that vibe week one. Well, fast forward to last weekend from week one to week two, and Texas just looked like, I don't know, nothing went right. The play calling was abysmal. I'd love to ask Steve Sarkeesian, what, what was the reasoning behind running it? First first down to Bijan, get nothing. Run it on second down with Bijan, get nothing. Try it, no, now you got to throw it on third down because first down and second down didn't work. Hence the Jason Garrett running into the you know square peg and around hole with Zeke. That's what Sarkeesian did pretty much that entire first half. Run Bijan on first, run Bijan on second. They watched film. Every time he got the ball, all, all 11 sets of eyes were on him. And at least four or five were on his ass about that fast. Because the offensive line's not blocking anybody. He's not giving him any holes. Kid's a hell of an athlete. He's going to get drafted. Probably be a good NFL running back. But you give him absolutely nowhere to go and nowhere to run, what can he do? What hope does he have? Like I said, when you're running Zeke, first play, second play, and getting nothing, and you keep doing it over and over and over, and the defense knows you're going to do it, and they crowd the line, and they stack everybody in the box, and you still stubbornly run the damn ball again? (laughs) 
Like, what do you expect to happen? Are you expecting some miracle? He's supposed to pull something out of his ass and just somehow move, like part the Red Sea like Moses and open up the holes himself and then run down the field? Is that what you're expecting? Because from what I saw in that game, he had nowhere to run. You weren't winning the uh, up front on the line of scrimmage, and you kept calling it over and over. Why? I thought Sarkeesian was supposed to be this offensive genius. There was motion. There was things moving around, getting guys things looking. And week one had such a good feeling. Now I get it. It's only two games into Steve Sarkeesian's tenure. But I've seen this for over a decade now. Charlie Strong, they couldn't figure out what they were doing. They win a big game against Notre Dame. And then they win two more games the rest of the year. The year before that, they went to Notre Dame to start the season, got absolutely embarrassed. Couldn't move the ball. I mean, just just absolutely clown show of a game. So you see this ass kicking from Saturday night, and you're like, or at least from my perspective is, this team's done. I mean, you could say, like I said earlier, with Jimmy Johnson, there was a culture, there was a mindset that we will not lose, we will not tolerate losing, we will never accept losing. We're not going to tolerate a, a uh, oh, what the hell, uh, moral victory. We're not going to accept moral victories. The hell with that. We win or we don't. That's the attitude that needs to happen. I don't know if that can happen in Texas. I don't. I really don't know. It seemed like they went out the you know, outside of the box for the coaching hire. Because it seemed like with Tom Herman, you know, the guy who was in the University of Houston, it was like a slam dunk when they, you know, when Charlie Strong lost to Kansas, it was like almost a foregone conclusion. Texas is pushing all their chips to the middle of the table with Tom Herman, and LSU wanted Tom Herman. And then they may be firing Coach O, the cookie monster here, here pretty shortly because they're awful. Two years removed from their dominant national championship win with a lot of talent on that roster. LSU recruits at a very good level, and they should not be looking the way they do and playing as bad as they are, but you know, it is what it is. And Coach O might be, you know, packing up that office here before the season's over if they keep getting blown out. I mean, if they're losing to L or UCLA, who's look you know pretty good, but what's gonna happen when they play Bama? As much as I hate to say it, what is gonna happen when they play the Texas A and M? I mean, if if they get rolled in both of those games and maybe when they play Arkansas, let's say they lose that. Let's say those all, all those threes are lo- all three are losses, and two of those are blowouts. Let's say AM blows them out, and Alabama will blow them out. That's a foregone conclusion. And let's say Arkansas wins. It's not a blowout, but let's say Arkansas is in control of that game, and there's no doubt that they're going to lose it, and that's how it ends up. Coach O might be out, but hey, but yeah, LSU wanted Tom Herman. He told them no, going to Texas. You know, former graduate assistant, blah, 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 under Mac Brown. Always wanted to come back. It's a dream to come, you know, whatever. They all say the same stuff. Almost cursed there. <laughs> but they all say the same thing. This is Texas. This is, you know, the Longhorn brand and, you know, the, the blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Daryl Royal and Earl Campbell and Ricky Williams and Vince Young and all the, yeah, all in the past. And nothing to show for it in the last 12 years. Ever since Colt McCoy got hurt in that Rose Bowl against Alabama, it has been a rough rough ride I've had to watch Baylor ascend to the top of this conference and see them win a Heisman Trophy now granted they were doing a lot of horrible things behind the scenes and they've kind of fell back down but still <laughs> they are ranked in the top 5 winning a Big 12 championship RG3 winning the Heisman Oklahoma obviously they've been doing what they've been doing for years 
Heisman, Heisman's left and right, kicking Texas's ass with the consistency, winning the conference with the consistency. Texas A&M, even though they're in the SEC, much as I hate to say this, they're the it program in the state. Look at the recruiting rankings. Now Tom Herman had some great, what, had it, was it two, three years ago, had a great recruiting class. I don't know how much of that's really panning out on the field right now. But A&M, they got more guys getting drafted. They got more top kids saying, yeah, when I'm coming out with my, you know, when they all put it on Twitter, you know, respect my wishes, respect my choices. I've decommitted from Texas. I'm looking at Alabama, Texas A&M, and LSU, or Alabama, Oklahoma, Oregon, or whatever the case may be. But a lot of these top threes, these top three, four, you know, five and four star recruits that are put out there don't have a Longhorn in it. They got Oregon in there. Alabama, Oklahoma, LSU, Georgia, Clemson, Auburn, Ohio State. Oh, God, Ohio State. You want to talk about somebody who's coming and poached some top talent in Texas? Just cherry pick here. I'll take this, this, and this. Okay, see you later. Bye. <laughs> yeah. They've done that more than a few times in the past few seasons. Urban Meyer loved to come into Texas and just cherry pick a couple here and there. So, but Texas, it, it's over. It's done. You can't convince me otherwise. Now, you can sit here and try to sell me on, it's only the second game. You know, they might win. You know, what if they only lose just a, you know, let's say they lose to Oklahoma, but they win out the rest of the year. Yeah, well, I'll believe it when it happens. Couldn't beat Iowa State in Austin last year. Just saying. I mean, Sarkeesian's in his first year. Matt Campbell can pretty much write his own ticket anywhere he wants. If Matt Campbell beats Texas again, maybe beat somehow, let's say, beat Oklahoma and win the conference this year, or get to the conference championship game two years in a row at Iowa State and compete with the likes of OU, that guy could go anywhere he wants. Jim Harbaugh's going to probably get canned pretty soon. USC just canned Clay Helton earlier today. That one's open. You know what I mean? I mean, there's big names that are going to be... People get fired every year, and I'm not advocating for people to get fired, but it happens every year. It, like Harbaugh, Michigan. He's a Michigan guy. They're kind of like Texas. It seems like they're very enamored with it's got to be one of their guys. And like Bo Schembeck or you know, Jim Harbaugh or then even their uh, basketball coach back in the day. The one that, uh, like, some guy left and then another guy took over. But he was a Michigan guy. And he got up to, like, the, I think it was when they won the championship. What was that, 89 when they beat Seton Hall in the NCAA tournament? He was a Michigan man. It was Steve Fisher, I believe was his name. And he coached the Fab Five a few years later. And then Jawan Howard, after his NBA career, eventually he ends up back in Ann Arbor because he's a Michigan man. It's like, well, maybe he's a Michigan man stuff's got to stop because they ain't done a damn thing in a long time either. They're paying Jim Harbaugh a ton of money to lose to Michigan State in Ohio State. I get Ohio State. They're one of the better programs in the country. But Michigan State, that's like your little brother. And they've been kicking your ass on a consistent basis with your Michigan man. And could you imagine if Texas was in the somehow still playing A&M these past 10 years? Sure, Texas might have won a few. But I, I hate to say it, but... I'm probably willing to, to bet if if they played during old uh, Johnny 8-Ball, <laughs> Johnny Autograph when he was there, yeah, they probably would have smoked Texas. 
probably would have smoked Texas. Last year, if they played, that's A&M wins that game. I don't know if it'd be close. I don't know if it'd be a blowout, but it would probably end up that way. So Texas has been overtaken by A&M. Now, everybody can say, well, all you need is the right coach, and all you need is the right thing, and you know, Texas is the, the brand and always will be in the state of Texas. Well, what's, why can't they get it right? Mac Brown basically was pushed out the door in 2013, and eventually something had to happen at the end of his tenure. After Colt McCoy got hurt in that championship game, he's even been quoted as saying, like, well, you know, it was such a, such a toll and it was so hard. And it's like, I don't know if he never said his head or his heart wasn't in it, but they, they recruit a kid from a spread wide open offense in Garrett Gilbert. And then they change the whole offense to try to be like Alabama with the power, power run game. It's like you recruit a whole group of offensive linemen to run a scheme that you ran with Colt McCoy for years that this kid in Lake Travis and Garrett Gilbert ran. And then you try to <laughs> become a mash, you know, I formation or power eye type team and, you know, run the ball down people's throats. It's like, well, why the hell did you recruit this five-star quarterback? You're going to just have him handed off a bunch. Like, I don't know what Mac Brown was thinking then. And then coordinators he ran through, I don't know how many different ones. You know, Manny Diaz and that whole BYU when Taysom Hill still running, still scoring touchdowns on that game in Provo back in, what was that, 20... I don't even remember, 2014? 2013? One of those two. I think it was 13. Because they played in 2012, and I think Texas won that one. But yeah, kicked the crap out of Texas. Wasn't even close. Ran through them like a hot knife through butter. But yeah, you can't convince me otherwise with Texas. It's over. They will never compete at a high level again. I cannot say that clearly enough. You can say all this, oh, all it takes is the right coach and all the right guy. Oh, looking back in the 90s. Look at OU in Texas. They were both kind of falling off there. Yeah, the 90s late, I mean, what, from the mid-80s on, Texas was really nothing special. No shots at national championships or or Heisman uh, Trophy type players. I mean, the, what was the Cotton Bowl in 91? Or was it 1990 season that was played in January 91 against Miami? In between two national championships that they won in 90, or excuse me, in 89 and 91. And Texas was ranked, what, top five that year? Miami went in there and kicked the you-know-what out of them. Had more penalty yards than actual offensive yards. Miami beat them, what, 46-3 to three or something like that? I mean, in the freezing cold temperatures on the god-awful Cotton Bowl where none of those guys, if you've watched those, uh, the 30-for-30s on ESPN with the U, mainly more the part two one, uh... Or no, maybe it was the first one. Maybe, yeah, actually the first one. The U part one, excuse me. They kicked the crap out of Texas. Went even close. And then Texas gets in the Big 12. They hire Mac Brown. And I don't think it took too much to convince Ricky Williams to stay in college because Ricky Williams has been on record saying he never dreamed about playing in the NFL. He dreamed about playing college football. So if you're really, really, really good at college football, yeah. I'm going to stay an extra year. I don't think it took too much to twist Ricky Williams' arm. Because he's playing minor league baseball, so they were paying for his college. Maybe he's getting a little money from that somewhere. I'm sure he was. Or some alum was probably slipping him an envelope full of hundreds. <laughs> you can't tell me he didn't get a little something under the table. Hell, Chris Sims said he did, and he was nowhere near as good as Ricky Williams if his sorry ass was getting it. What the hell did Ricky get when he won a Heisman? <laughs> Come on now. Let's be real. 
Let's be honest here. But when you have a team like Arkansas that struggles to beat Rice, a very, very great, wonderful academic institution. You don't go to Rice to play football. You go to Rice because you're just ridiculously smart. You happen to be great at football as well. Maybe not great, but good enough to get a scholarship. Because I'm sure not too many kids are trying to, you know, hmm, Alabama, <laughs> Clemson, and Rice. They're not usually putting those three hats on the table or anything like that. You know what I mean? When it comes to signing day and commitment day at their high school, when they do all these little presentations that they do now. So when Arkansas struggles to barely beat a Rice team, and then they come back and literally whatever they did wrong in week one, they fixed it. Whatever they saw on tape with Texas, they they were on it like 100%. And they kicked the you-know-what out of Texas all day and embarrassed Texas. And how many times does this have to happen? You got embarrassed against BYU. You lost to freaking Kansas. Kansas. An absolute just... <laughs> unmistakable, just un... I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. I'm just so aggravated trying to think about it. Like, It's not acceptable. You can't lose to Kansas ever if you're Texas in football. Well, that's what Charlie Strong ultimately fired, but you can't... There was games where they were close to losing to Kansas. Games where they had to pull a miracle out of their butt to lose a, to beat Kansas. I believe, hell, just, uh, what was that, 2018? 2019? In Austin? They had this little little running back, number one, little small undersized guy. He shredded Texas that night. Texas needed, like, Sam Ellinger to make, I don't know how many different throws with, like, 30 seconds to go and a kicker to make a field goal. A game-winning kick against Kansas in Austin. Austin, losing to Kansas damn near. Going to BYU, getting blown out. Pretty much being TCU's bitch since they joined the Big 12. What does Texas beat him Twice? They pretty much, Gary Patterson, I don't care if it's in Austin, I don't care if it's in Fort Worth, I don't care if they played in a parking lot in South Dakota. <laughs> Gary Patterson and those Horn Frogs are going to kick UT's ass. Because they've done it. Oklahoma, well we know how that goes for the most part. Oklahoma State, they've had their, their, their uh, turn with Texas and beating their ass. Everybody seems to have a turn. Iowa State, you know, now they're getting their turn. OU's like, yeah, well, we do it all the time, so no worries. Iowa State here, you get you some of this. And TCU's like, okay, it's my turn. Let me get some of that. And then they wear it out. <laughs> like, what else do I need to see and believe? What, what am I not believing in? I don't care who the coach is. They can't figure it out. They got too many people behind the scenes. All these multimillionaires, alumni pulling the strings. They can't hire the right coach because some old jackass oil billionaire doesn't like him. Oh, I want this guy. What the hell do you know about football? Just because you're 80 years old and made a bunch of money doesn't translate to knowing a lot about football. Example, Jerry Jones. So, just because you're phenomenal at one form of business does not translate to this in any way, shape, or form. But all those people are pulling the strings and you better... Shake those hands and kiss those people's asses. Otherwise, you won't get that job at Texas. Or if you do, you won't hope you won't keep it for very long. That's another reason, part of the reason why Tom Herman's not there. 
Didn't glad hand enough of these people. Didn't stroke their egos. They're the ones that write them big checks so you can get that pretty new little longhorn thing in the end of the stadium. Or years ago when they had the biggest scoreboard in college football. Or they wanted to add more seats. Or whatever the hell. Anything like that. They're not out there knocking on doors. <laughs> trying to raise money. They just go to one of these guys and they go, okay. And they scratch a check for $25 million Or something insane like that. For their tax write-off. And then they name the stadium or the whatever. The locker room or whoever the hell. After that person. Goes on everywhere. But you mean to tell me Oklahoma doesn't have rich boosters? They might not have as many. It's not as big a school. But I'm sure they got them. But somehow, some way, they can pick the right coach. And Bob Stoops. And he turned that thing around pretty damn quick. With a roster that was not that good. Not like Bob Stoops won that championship in 2000 with a bunch of four and five star recruits. Now he started getting them real quick after that. Hence why he went back to the national championship game multiple times. And then Lincoln Riley takes over. Gee, I don't know. They win Heisman's there like passing out candy for their quarterbacks. Oh, you just transferred here? Cool, win a Heisman. Oh, hey, you want to transfer here? Uh, okay, cool, you got nominated for the Heisman. Hey, next guy's in line? Yeah, you'll be, you're the Heisman favorite this season. I mean, I mean, I could talk about this all day. Texas is not that program. It is over. The day is dead. You are officially Nebraska. What coach is going to come along and change this thing or turn this thing around? Now, I could look back when I was that age of high school age and back in the day, they used to put in the Dallas Morning News with like the top 50 or top 100 recruits in DFW, top 100 recruits in Texas, and then like the top 100 recruits in the country. And a lot of kids left. A lot of kids left back in those days. They would go to... I mean, just from our high school, we had John Walters, probably one of the best defensive players in our school history. He went to Alabama. Marcus Stiggers, All-State. Best player in the state of Texas. Our option quarterback. He went to Colorado. I mean, we had guys that also went to... Where else? We had Jeff Barnett. He was our center. He went to Vanderbilt. Not exactly a powerhouse. But you mean to tell me he didn't have any offers in the state of Texas? Probably could have. Probably would have been able to. But he didn't. But if you look at a lot of those, uh, like mid, like early to mid, or yeah, early to mid 90s, if you look at like the Notre Dames and the Florida States and the Miamis and the Ohio States and USC's and Colorado when they were, had it rolling back in the day, a lot of those, not a, I wouldn't say they had a bunch of guys from Texas, but they had more than a few. That might have a couple of starters or maybe two or three. But if you looked at those rosters, they, they had a decent amount of guys from Texas. So, it is what it is. Texas is done. I, I can't keep, I mean, I'm just repeating myself at this point. They're, they're done. They're, they can't compete on that level anymore. I don't care what coach they bring in. It, 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 if Sarkeesian is the guy, the guy that they have now is the one to turn it around. He's going to have a hell of a time doing it. And I don't see him doing it. You got to somehow get a turn around the whole way the program is looked at. Because kids don't remember Vince Young. That was 2005 or 2021, 16 years ago. You know how old those kids were when those were how those games were going on and those highlights were being played. And Colt McCoy, when he was winning a bunch of games in Texas, from like 04 to 09, when Texas really had it rolling, you know, BCS games, national championship games. 
winning a championship. Those how old were those kids? If you're a true freshman on a campus right now and you're 18 years old, how old were you in 2005? Do the math. <laughs> if you're a fifth year senior, so you're 22 years old, okay? Do the math. How old was that guy in 2005? They weren't teenagers. If they were watching college football with their dad or their parents, they weren't that paying attention to it. They don't really remember. Oh, yeah, I love watching Vince Young when I was two and three or four years old. He was my guy. I don't remember that. Even if he was, they changed their mind 15 times who their favorite college and their favorite players were. So by the time they get to high school, it's who knows what. So they don't know that. They don't care. It doesn't mean anything. They don't give a rat's ass. They can watch the Longhorn Network and go, okay, yeah, that guy was pretty dope, that number 10 from Texas. Who was that? Vince Young? Yeah, that guy was good. Okay, great. Cool, whatever. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. So if you can somehow surpass AM, because they've got it rolling with recruiting and Jimbo Fisher, he's not going anywhere. Now he's got to start winning eventually and beating Alabama and not just being second fiddle or third fiddle in that conference on the west side of the the uh SEC. He's got to get it going eventually. So maybe somehow, some way that he can with uh Sarkeesian I'm speaking about, but I don't see it happening. I really don't. Maybe I'm wrong. But I've seen this now. We're going on the 12th year. Embarrassing losses to Maryland back-to-back years. Embarrassing losses where you get the score run up by BYU. Barely beating Kansas. Losing to Kansas. Getting owned by TCU. Losing to your rival in Oklahoma pretty much more, way more than you beat them. What else? What, what, what about anything that I'm saying here makes you believe that you can be good in the future? Now, sure, there's just having blind faith. Well... <laughs> Uh, that only lasts so long eventually when it comes to what you actually see and what, what is being put on display by uh, Texas. So you tell me. So I've rambled on here long enough. So that's it. I'm done. <laughs> Schnoz Nose Podcast with dropping the remote, whatever random sounds happen. I apologize. Didn't mean to do it, but that's it for this one thank you so much for talk uh, for listening i gotta stop talking now i'm losing my damn mind thank you so much for listening this has been the schnoz knows podcast as always i'm your host greg schnoz and i will talk to you again soon have a great night <laughs>